Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. Welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant, where we count down who I think are the most relevant players to have a fantasy footy conversation about for 2023 in Dream Team, Supercoach, and AFL Fantasy. Number 35 in the 50 most relevant. A, a guy that I think may have been catching you and others in the community by surprise and sneaking under the radar a little bit. In at 35 today, it's Fremantle Dockers defender Hayden Young. Joining me on this podcast episode, it's been a minute since we've had this man on the podcast. I think we're heading back to like numbers 41 and 42 when we talk about Patrick Cripps and Bailey Smith. I've got Mini Monk back talking about Hayden Young. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. It's it's good to have a chat about, you know, one of my favourite players in the league. I'm a Freo supporter. I love watching Hayden Young and love to have a chat about the player because I think he is, as you say, going under the radar as to what he could be in 2023. He's got some real special fantasy and some special football attributes that we'll talk about in a moment. He is just the 21 years of age docker positioned as a defender. And last year, we saw some really high scores that were actually translated across to some of his highest ever super coach and AFL fantasy and dream team scores. A 132 against the Tigers is his highest score for the year and ever in AFL fantasy and dream team. While well, it was 142 against the Hawks in Supercoach, exact same highest ever score in that format. He's setting you back at an average point of 87.6 in AFL fantasy. It means in that format, he'll set you back just over 775,000 and just a touch under 800,000 in dream team. While in Supercoach, just under 510,000. That's based off his average of 92.3 in that format. And the 2019 draft mini monk's going to go down, it looks like, as one of the best drafts for the Dockers ever. At pick seven, they land a superb kick and a phenomenal interceptor. He's taken a few years to find his feet after getting over some injury risks and some injury hurdles. But now Hayden Young, he's a phenomenal footballer, let alone a phenomenal fantasy player. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's weird to say, but this is his first full season where he's had, you know, uninterrupted, as you said, no injuries, played 22 games this year, including a couple of finals, only missed a couple of games this year because of COVID. And he showed through the year that he continued to become like one of Frio's staples. You you go to Frio's best 22 and he's one of the first five picked. You go yep. to the list. He, just, he is on your halfback flank and he provides so much for the team in terms of his as you say, kicking skill. He's, he's one of the most accurate kicks in the competition. He has a little bit of running carry. He has a lot of composure about him. And it shows like he doesn't have high, high numbers of clangs. He doesn't have many frees against either. He, he's a very composed player. And he's a player that, you know, you want to see the ball in his hands when you're a supporter of the team. And if you own him in fantasy, you definitely want to see the ball in his hands because he just, he, he will rack up scores like you won't believe, especially in that free back six. Yeah, and we often talk through the 50 most relevant. Kane talks a lot about these kicks on the 45 that defenders do that open up mm. the field, that they might not be these 50, 60-meter kicks. They're often these really games setting up 35, 40-meter kicks with pinpoint accuracy. Hayden Young does those. But in addition, 
he does have that booming left boot to go with it where he can kick at 55 meters and hit a bloke on a dime. So he's got that ability to open up the game, to split, to do the switch and to create the options, but he's also got the opportunity to get it out over the back and to hit that man on the run. 23 possessions he averaged last year, seven marks and two tackles. You might see those tackles and go, oh, he could gain that or, oh, that's not as high as I'd like. But you know what? That's not his role in the side specifically. He's there to set up play with his foot and to create structural movements with the way he intercepts. He ranked seventh in the AFL last year uh, for marks per game. And from a fantasy perspective, he averaged 87.6 in dream team and fantasy. Uh, He had multiple tons across the season last year in that format. There was three, Uh, but there was an interesting patch of the year between round three and 20. So a really nice long stretch of the year during rounds three to 20. He had just the one score under 80 and had some big tons in there too, a 119 and a 132. So between rounds three to 20, he averaged 92.7. So already there's just some small, what, five or six points per game growth. And that's just taking a good two thirds of what he did last year. In Supercoach, he averaged 92.3 last year. There were five tons, three over 120, just the four scores across the year under 80. However, between round eight to 15, so a different split, but between round eight to 15, for seven weeks, he went in an average of 97, went nothing under 80. And already we're seeing Mini Monk, that big leap of 19 points per game in Dream Team and Fantasy and almost 16 points a game in Supercoach. There's already pockets within the year, big pockets, where he's already got this the scoring capacity of a top six to 10 defender. Yeah, he really does. And he's got not only the, the scoring capacity, he's got the ceiling that you want from these types of players to pop a big, you know, 120, 130 score. There's not many defenders that can pop scores in that range and not on a consistent no. level. And then he's also got that consistency. Like you, you say that he only fell below 40, uh, sorry, 84 times in the year. He mm. only fell below 75 two times in the year Jeez. in fantasy. And both those games are against the Eagles. It's, yeah. it's a weird game. I mean, and the, that, the way those games are played, Freo were quite high up in the ground most of the time. And so it's not a surprise that he didn't score too highly in those. But that's just a phenomenal consistency of scoring. And it's, it's someone that you would want to start because you need that consistency when you're starting. You need someone Mm. who can pop a big score, differentiate you from the pack, but that isn't going to pop a stinker. It isn't going to pop you a 45, 50, 55 score in round one. You go, oh gosh, why do I own this guy? This is going to be a really rough start. You go, well, if it's a bad day, he might pop you an 80 in AF and then 80, 85 in super coach. You go, I can live with that. It's not a score that's going to hurt you. And, And that's where I see a lot of the, the, you know, intrigue around young is that, he actually doesn't burn you badly if you own him. And you really do need some players like that in a starting squad and even through the year to to, to own in fantasy. Especially when you're going unique and and Young is unique, especially if you contrast him to the player we revealed yesterday and the 50 most relevant Nick Dacos in terms of ownership percentages. They're they're drastically different just across those formats. And, And I'm keen on your take about the split of those two in a minute about how that kind of works. But at time of recording using AFL fantasy, which is the only format that's technically open to the public right now, um, there's a 40% ownership in AFL fantasy for Dacos, but it's just 10%. 
in AFL fantasy for young. So already you see guys that are comparable in price, but a very big differentiator, which means if you're going unique and you don't want those burners that come your way that Mini Monks talked about. Look, it, it doesn't really impact, but it is interesting to note that in finals last year, they don't impact his scoring, but it's always nice to see what a guy can do when the rubber hits the road. He scored a 122 and a 98 in AFL fantasy and dream team with 28 possessions, 21 possessions and 11 marks in both those games and went 120 and 105 in super coach. So he's more than capable of scoring in the big moments too. Mm. We, we mentioned at the top of the episode about those injury history moments, only 13 games over his first two seasons. You look at that stat, Mini Monk and go, oh, he's just had one good year with injury running. He's really injury prone. That narrative is not really fair, though, is it? No, I don't think it's fair. I think, you know, he had the syndesmosis injury where he got his leg trapped underneath him and just in the middle of the tackle was very unlucky. And the doctors decided, you know what? We're not going to rush him back. We'll put him on ice, give him the year. Hmm. And then the other one, he's done a soft tissue. He's done a hamstring. I mean, it happens, especially when you're in that young age as well. But there's been no recurrence of that injury after that. And, you know, Freer wanted to take it slow. They see him as a, a prospect for not just the next three years, but for the next 10 years. I mean, that's why they gave him, you know, six, seven-year contract. They want him yeah. at the club. They want the ball in his hands and they want to protect him. They don't want a player that's, you know, going to continually have injuries. So if you've got the option where, you know, you're still in a rebuilding side and you can put a player like that on ice, give them an extra preseason to build their body back up, then you do it. Yeah. And yeah, as I said, he played every round this year, except for the two that he missed when he had COVID. And I mean, there's players that missed COVID because of multiple, uh, multiple players, multiple premiums that have missed rounds mm. due to COVID, not only, you know, 2022, but last year and the year before as well. And you can't really hold that against him. That's not an injury history. That's just, no. the, way, that's just, that's just the way of life at this point. Um, yeah. and, and so, yeah, I think, you know, he, he, he covers the ground well enough. He doesn't really, he's not the type of player where you go and look at him in, in the in the top 10 or top 20 defenders and you go oh i don't want to start him because he has no. injury history it's not he's not like it's it's not like it's aaron hall or, or <laughs> even lucky whitfield to an extent where you go yeah oh, these players have an injury history i don't really want to touch them i don't think that, that narrative can can hold strong with with young yeah and i think that's a good shout i think there's two important things that we want to talk about with young um one is around that contrast to dacos and uh, I know you've done some work statistically comparing the two, so I'm keen on, on your takes. The other is that we'll get to beyond that is how he sits in with this Dockers back line because it is a, a fascinating team in terms of how it structures, what the ball share is like and how different fantasy players within that team go. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But talk to me about the parallels between Dacos and Young because they're closely priced across the formats and clearly very closely aligned in the 50 most relevant. Yeah, I've seen a lot of a narrative around Dacos in the preseason, and I've not seen much of a narrative about Young. So I, I went and had a look at the stats, and in terms of kicks per game, it's 13.9 to Young and 14.5 to Dacos. It's essentially negligible. You go to handballs, Dacos has about three more a game, which makes sense. Collingwood feed him the ball off of the half-back flank, and then sure. he, he continues to feed the ball along, whereas Young is the type of player that gets given the ball and then kicks it on rather than receiving handballs and giving handballs off. Marks, Young's up three a game it's quite significant tackles they're basically the same but then you look at another one that where there's a little bit of uh, interest for me is that freeze four versus free against young Mm. had a negative differential of five dacos had a positive differential of 10 yeah well tends to even out in the long run and then kick in share as well 
Dacos was second in kick and share for the Pies. Played on from 53 out of 53 that he got, and he was second only to Darcy Moore. Now, Collingwood fans may correct me and say, no, Brennan, or no, Mini Monk, you're wrong. <laughs> but no, I, I think that I think that he probably will maintain that position. Whereas for Frio, he was third for Young. He was third <laughs> behind Ryan and Cox. And I think that, you know, they started giving him more responsibility through the year. They started to give him more kick-ins as the year went on. And I think that will continue as, as the year goes on as well. I think next year, well, 2023, he will get more of a kick-in share. And just those two factors alone give you, you know, scoring increase. But then the other thing you have to consider, and this is what we were talking about before, is the consistency of scoring. Mm. You look at 80-plus games, just talking regular season, not talking finals here. Sure. 80-plus games, Young had 15 out of his 20 games where he was over 80. Mm. Dacos, only 12 out of 22. Yeah, right. But then where Dacos comes in is he has more games of 100-plus. It's three versus seven. Now, Young had a lot of scores in the mid to high 90s. Mm -hmm. And then... If you're talking absolute ceiling games, I mean, Young had one above 120, but he also had 119 score in there. And Dacos only had the two. Mm. And this is in AFL Fantasy. And, and the stat's fairly similar in Super There's some correlation it's much more even. Yeah. It's much more even for the 100 plus and the 120 plus scores for Young and Dacos for, for, for Supercoach. And so you think, well, I've got a player that's not going to burn me with really bad scores. No. i got a player who's got an almost comparable upside. And I've got a player that has, you know, a potential for scoring increase just for, for the fact that he might get, you know, less freeze against and more freeze for and might get a more kick in share. And yet everyone's going, you've got to start Dacos. He's your D2, your D3 in Supercoach and AFL Fantasy. And, and they're just making it out like it's a no-brainer thing. But mm. you've got to have the conversation there because both are reasonable options. But if you look at the stats, Young, he might come up on top. Yeah. You talk about this kick in Fremantle was a monopoly it was Luke Ryan yeah. taking 136 third that you said was uh young he only took 24 kick-ins for the year so uh, I think when we look at this Fremantle backline it's for so long everything has come through Luke Ryan every rebound every kick-in he's been the man but as young continues to evolve and again remember he's played under 40 games of AFL a hundred odd less uh, than a Luke Ryan. His elite weapon is his skill is kicking the ball with distance and with precision. Now, whether you want that from kicking or whether you want him receiving the ball from kicking, kick, getting that mark and then bringing the ball deep into the Fremantle wings, that will be a different conversation all again. But I think you've got a brilliant point there that we've got this conversation and narrative about Dacos that might not be wrong. But when we go all in on one mm. player, sometimes we don't see the other options that are right alongside him and go, oh, but also he could be right there amongst them. Even just in AFL fantasy, uh, if we were to look at the two, there is less than $10,000 in your starting squad splitting yeah. them up. In that format, again, it's the only format open, there is... 30% more people owning Dacos than Young. So what's the best way? There are two ways to approach a player with high ownership. One, jump on them and it is, it is negligible what it does for you. Or the other option is you attack that move by going with someone you feel that could go equal, if not better, with a different level of ownership numbers. I love that he's got a really no basement to burn you. He's shown glimpses of a ceiling and the narrative of how his upside evolves 
again, just purely contrasting him to Dacos, not to say you can't pick one over the other or both or not, but the upside narrative of attention will certainly go more to Dacos than Young. So you can build a case for Dacos. We did that yesterday on the 50 most relevant with Rids. Equally, as we're talking about with Hayden Young today, in that price range, there are other options that are equally as compelling as what Nick Dacos could be. Um, yeah. And I suppose, Mini Monk, that ultimately the big decider is what do you think you'll average and what do you think the top 10 defenders will average? From there, you probably get your decision about whether you're starting him or not. Yeah, I think it's those two. And I think you've also got to consider a bit of the role as well. Because I think that's going to factor into what you think they can average for the year. And then he showed like he, he increased his average from, you know, 2021 to 2022. I know he only played a few games in 2021, but it increased from, you know, a 69 score up to an 88. And if you think that he's going to continue to increase from there, there's no reason that he can't average around about 95 to, to 97 in, in AFL fantasy. And, and in Supercoach, it went from, you know, 77.3 to 92.3. It's an increase. Yeah. It's a pretty good one. Can you go to a 95 to 100? Sure. Probably, probably a narrative that he could do that. Is that going to be close enough to the top six or the top 10 defenders, depending on whether you want to hold him through the year or, or you're going to upgrade into him? I think it probably is with, with who we've lost and with the potential for some of these top liners to come back a little bit. I think that you, you're in the mark, you're around that, you know, mm. D5 to D10 marker, which might be what you need from a player like Young to, to, to justify starting him in your squad or even to consider, you know, going into him at some point during the year. Yeah, I, and, I think it's a really good shout. Sorry, man. And then you go into the role conversation, and and this is the big one that I think that people are sleeping on Young versus Dacos. Sure. And if you look at Collingwood, who are you going to tag if you're wanting to tag a halfback flanker? It's Dacos. There's there's no other halfback flanker at, at, at Collingwood that has as much damage as he does, and it's already been shown. He got attention late in 2022, copped three tags, had bad scores as a result of them. And it's only going to increase as he continues through his career. Whereas if you're tagging it for you, who are you going to tag? You're probably going to tag Jordan Clark because he's the damaging one with his On the outside, carry. Yeah. You're going to tag him. And if you're in, even then, if you're going to tag, who's the other person you're going to tag it for you? It's probably Brayshaw. You're not yeah. going to go after Young. He'd be at best third in line for a tag. Yeah. I and agree. then you want to look at, right. Well, some people might say, well, Hayden Young, he might have to go and play tall. He, he plays as an intercept defender. He doesn't play as a halfback rebounder. But you look at Frio's list build and you look at Frio's, you know, back six, he's not the one that goes down, uh, who has to stand up and play tall if someone goes down. That goes to to Luke Ryan. Frio yeah. has shown on multiple occasions when there's been injuries to, you know, Brennan Cox, to, to Alex Pierce, to Griffin Logue, even between games or during games themselves. Ryan is the one who goes back and takes the next tall. And Young is still left to be free. So it, it would take multiple injuries for him to be one who has to go and play tall. I think yeah. he's got a really, you know, not as cushy a role as Dacos, but he's got a safe and secure role where, he, you know, he's going to be getting those plus sixes from the chip mark. He's going to be the one who's taking the ball on on the 45, like you say, and, mm. and doing a little bit of running carry. And yeah, I, I think that there's upside because of the consistency in role as well. Like Freer want him to be that person that sits on the halfback flank and feeds the ball forward for for five, 10 years to come. Yeah, I think so too. And we all talk about, we want top six defenders, but the reality is the gap between who's at six and who's at 10 isn't really that far. Last year in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, it's a differential of 3.3 points per game yeah. by average. Whereas in Supercoach, 
it's four. Well, it's really a flat five points per game. It's five points per game being what 120 points over the year. Is that the difference in your year? Look, it might well be, but that, that volatility happens every week over the first six weeks with rookie roulette, let alone what you do with your, yeah. your cash cows or what you do with your captaincy calls. So even if he's not a top six guy, but he's close enough, that extra money you save, that extra uniqueness he brings, let alone the potential upside is enough for why we're talking about him in the 50 most relevant and why we've got him at number 35. Uh, let's talk about drafts, Mini Monk, before we get, we move on and wrap up the episode. Based on historical average of his 2022 data, he's placed as the 16th defender in Dream Team and Fantasy and 19th defender in Supercoach. So just by people drafting off previous seasons average that places him at a D2 spot. That's probably where he goes on draft day. Isn't it? Regardless of how people do their rankings. Yeah. I think he probably goes at around that D2 position. I think he's, you know, got the potential to be an earlier D2. And mm. I think that there's a narrative that you could take him as a very late D1. If you go deeper in your other lines, okay. I think especially in fantasy, because, you know, he's got that little bit higher in the, in the rankings and, I think that that narrative holds true a bit more there than it does in Supercoach, but I would be comfortable having him as a D1 if I've got, you know, a couple of good midfielders and a good forward in the process. Um, I I think that some people might want to take Dacos ahead of him, and I know that we're going to be harping on about this narrative and the relationship to them, but I think that they should go fairly similarly to each other, although I think what will end up happening is that Dacos will go five or ten picks earlier, if if, if, if not even more. Um, and I think that that presents a bit of value with Young in the draft day as well. Yeah, I think it's a really good shout. I, I couldn't disagree with you on those takes, man. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, thank you, man, for your thoughts today on one of your boys, Hayden Young. No, no, thanks for having me. And yeah, like you say in the 50 Most Relevant, it's not about saying you need to pick this player, you don't need to pick Correct. this player. It's about having the conversation. And I think, you know, we need to have the conversation about who is you're going to be, who's going to be that value defender that you want to push that you, that you want to start that can push top six. And yeah. Look, I think Young's one of them. Absolutely. And the conversation without doubt, it's wise at number 35. If you want to go and read the article, it is online for you now at coachespanel.tv, as is all the other players that we've revealed so far through the 50 most relevant. We're well and truly into the mid thirties. Maybe some of your guys that are in your side, we've dropped already a few uniques. You're a bit dirty on us that we've mentioned them. Or maybe there's some guys that you're like, I wonder where this bloke is going to end up in the 50. Well, keep listening to these podcasts every single day, checking out the articles at coachespanel.tv. While you're there, you can sign up to our Patreon supporter group. They're already our premium and breakout tier level supporters. They're already up to number 34. They already know who it is. The clue I'm about to give in 20 seconds. They don't care. They already know who that person is. But if you want to support the coaches panel, get extra content, some extra podcasts and early access to the 50 most relevant, all the details for our Patreon supporter group is at coachespanel.tv. So who's number 34 tomorrow? Let me give you a clue. Every time there's a Fremantle player, I think I'm just going to have to get Mini Monk on the podcast. Mini Monk's on the podcast again tomorrow. Who are we talking about from the Fremantle Footy Club? Is it too early for Brayshaw? Does Brayshaw even make it? Okay, he doesn't. Let's be honest. But which other Dockers are there? Because there's some interesting names. Is it a backman, a defender, a forward, a ruck? 
Well, now that would throw some cats among some pigeons, wouldn't it? If it was a ruck. You'll find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. 